The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. I'll give you a moment to turn there. I'll be reading from the ESV. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. This is our focus verse. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray you receive it as such. You may be seated. Anybody else a little warm in here today? (laughs) Okay, we're trying to take care of that, sorry. Well, it is no secret that there is somewhat of an anxiety epidemic in our country and really in our world. The National Institute of Mental Health reported that an estimated 31.1% of U.S. adults experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. Those who may not even necessarily have a clinical anxiety diagnosis still are often living anxiety ridden lives. Am I telling the truth this morning? I think Xanax is handed out like Skittles today, right? Anxiety, listen, has even infiltrated the church. Worry has all but paralyzed many believers. Can I remind us today on this Sunday of Advent that the Lord does not want us to be an anxiety-ridden people. Can I get an amen? Jesus is not the prince of anxiety. He is the prince of what? Peace. Paul implores us in Philippians chapter 4. By the way, he's writing from a prison cell. And he writes, Be anxious for nothing. Well, 2020 has brought with it many challenges. I don't have to keep reminding you. But challenges that could, in fact, make our hearts be overtaken with anxiety. Uh, 
So I think this week's Advent theme is extremely timely, namely the theme of peace. I think we could all use some peace in our lives today. So today's message is simply about the wonderful, beautiful, glorious peace of God. The shalom that Pastor Dakota was talking about. When we think of Advent, again, we do two things during this Advent season. We celebrate and we anticipate. We look back to Christ's first coming. He came as Israel's Messiah. We look back to the incarnation and we celebrate that Christ was born, that he took on flesh, that he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He came, as one gospel says, to save his people from their sins, and gloriously so. It's a time of celebration, Advent is. But it is also a time of anticipation because we know that though though the Lord has come and his kingdom has been inaugurated, his kingdom has not yet been perfected in the world, but there's coming a day. He promises that he will return and consummate his kingdom or perfect his kingdom. And so we look ahead with great anticipation for that glorious day. How many would say this morning, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. So let's look and consider at God's peace in light or in the context of this already but not yet season that we are in as believers. We see this tension when we look at peace biblically, that that peace has come and that also peace will come. Isaiah 9 verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I want to point you to verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Beautiful text, isn't it? Because Christ has come, the kingdom of God on the earth has been inaugurated. And Jesus is Lord. But here's what we know. Not everyone on the earth profess him as Lord. Many do, but there are many who do not profess Jesus to be Lord. But the, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Day by day, more people are calling out upon Jesus as Lord. His lordship is expanding across the earth. And when he returns, there is coming a day, friends, when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And in the same way, Christ and his incarnation brought with him, as it were, peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace has now broken into this world. Yet, there are still wars and rumors of wars, right? 
but Christ will return. And in the end, when his justice ultimately prevails, his peace will perfectly and absolutely cover the earth, the new creation of the increase of his peace. There will be no end. John 16.33, Jesus kind of shows us this tension of uh, his peace that he gives, this already but not yet tension. He says this, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer or take heart. I've overcome the world. So here is what God's peace looks like now. Right now, you and I can experience peace in the midst of trouble. But when the new creation fully comes, we will experience perfect peace in the absence of trouble. Isn't that a glorious thought? No more wars, no no more rulers of war, no more fighting. Perfect peace. So two questions I want to answer today as we consider God's peace, particularly that is available to us right now. Number one, to whom is God's peace currently available? Number two, what are the aspect of, aspects of God's peace available to us during this already but not yet season? So number one, to whom is God's peace available? One of the most well-known lines in the entire Christmas story is this proclamation by the multitudes, thousands of angels, glory to God in the highest, verse 14, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And in this verse, and take a little rabbit trail here, we see two results of the incarnation of Jesus coming to earth in flesh. Two results. Number one, glory to God. And number two, peace to men and women. John Piper put it like this beautifully. He says, in the coming of Jesus, we see glory ever ascending from man to God and peace ever descending from God to man. Glory to God in the highest. I studied this out this week. I uh, I thought of one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 19, 1, that says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Think of that. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. The heavens display the glory. You can think of the glory of God in this context as His majesty, His beauty. It's hard to understand how powerful and how majestic the Lord is when we can't see Him. But through His creation, we can get a glimpse as we look up perhaps on a clear night and you see multitudes of stars and how you get a sense of how vast the the universe is and you feel like a little peon in this vast world, vast universe. And you think, wow. Wow. How majestic, how glorious God must be to have spoken all of this into existence. The heavens declare the glory of God. And as Piper has said, it's a vast understatement. God is so, he's infinitely more glorious than his creation. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. But in this text today, verse 14, the text says the angels proclaim, it's Jesus is born, glory to God in the what? Highest. As much as we can see the glory of God when we look up on a clear evening, we look into the, the heavens and we see this multitude of stars that we cannot possibly count ourselves. That's a picture of God's glory, but it pales in comparison to what we see in Jesus Christ, who is an, a perfect embodiment of the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest. John 1.14, and the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And listen to what the text says, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> we beheld His glory in this baby born in a manger. It was the perfect, He was the perfect and is the perfect embodiment of the glory of God because this child is God. God the Son, not just the Son of God, but also God the Son. Glory to God in the highest. It's interesting in some of our songs that we sing, some of the modern contemporary worship songs, uh, I, I can't remember what particular songs say this, but they say something like this, we want to experience your glory like Moses experienced it. Or maybe we want to experience the Shekinah glory that in, in the temple. I, I think if, if, we were to ask, if Moses were to somehow hear us sing a song about wanting to experience the glory of God like he experienced, I think he'd think we were out of our minds. Moses wanted to experience the glory, the presence of God, and God hit him in a cleft of the rock, and we don't really understand this wording, but basically God passed by him and he could see his hind parts, whatever that means. God is spirit. But then Jesus comes, God in flesh. He's born in a manger, and John writes, we beheld his glory. Oh, that is uh, what we see. The glory of God in Christ is so much more profound than the glimpse that Moses got in the Old Testament. Do you know every time you and I experience Christ, that we experience the wonderful glory of God? We pray, we, we sang today, uh, what, what were the words, the glory of God fills the temple, or fill your temple? What we mean, that's a fine line. We, we seek your presence, but you want to really experience the glory of God? Experience Christ. Run to Christ. Experience Christ. Glory to God in the highest. Number two, he says here, peace on earth. Now, the King James Version is a little bit more familiar to you. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How many are a little fami more familiar with that? Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings today. I have no beef with the King James Version. I grew up with it. I memorize still scriptures that I uh, quote today, particularly like the 23rd Psalm. I quote in the King James. But we have uh, what we call King James-only churches today that think that churches like us that are not using the King James-only are out of our minds, all right? We're not as spiritual as them, and that's okay. To, I, again, I have no beef with the King James, but I would say that if you look 
it's actually not the best translation, most accurate translation. Because since the King James Version has been published, translated, we found more manuscripts that are a little more helpful. And so there's better word-for-word translations. And can I just encourage you, if you're reading the King James Version with your young children, and one day they don't, they say, man, the Bible's just too hard to understand. That might be the reason why. I had a pastor that argued with me one time. I was a youth minister, and he was trying to get me to read to my, the, the King James with my youth, and it's just antiquated language. And he said, well, you have the Spirit of God, so that's all you should need. And I, I wanted to hand him a Spanish Bible say, well, you don't speak Spanish, but you have the Spirit of God, so use this one, right? But I didn't because I was scared of him. So it's not the best translation here. It misses it because here's what it sounds like. If you, if you listen to this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It almost sounds like God's peace is for everybody, but it's not. God's gift, gift of peace will not be appropriated to all of humanity. So the CSB says this, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to the people he favors. Good translation. New American Standard, which is arguably the, the most uh, literal translation. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he's well pleased. NIV. Hey, the NIV gets it better than the King James. Uh, if, you're, if, if you're at a church and they ever uh, dog you for uh, having the NIV, you just point them to the scripture and say, well, it's more accurate here at least <laughs> than the King James Version. NIV, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his rest or his favor rest. In John 16, Jesus says this, in me, you may have peace. Who is it that can have the peace of God? It's not peace on earth to everybody. It's the same people that we spoke about last week who could have the hope of God. It's those who are in Christ. When Jesus comes, it's only those who receive him that can experience his peace. It's not peace for the whole world. It's offered to the whole world. But it's only those who are in Christ who can experience his peace. Namely, Christians, real followers of Jesus, as we like to call them around here. So, enough said. That's, so, who is, to whom is this peace available? It's to those who are in Christ. All right? So, if you're not in Jesus, you don't get this peace. But if you are in Christ, you gloriously, wonderfully get the peace that God offers. Which begs the question then, what does God's peace look like? Let me give you three aspects of God's peace. It, by the way, is a peace that transcends all other peace that the world may offer you. The world will try to sell you some kind of plan to where you can find peace. But it's not the peace. It's not the same as what God is offering you. What kind of peace is available to Christians? Does it mean that we'll live without trouble? No, we've talked about this. Jesus said... In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. 
So I'm not here suggesting to you that if you are in Christ, that you're not going to have any more trouble. No, we know that is certainly not the case. Jesus' closest followers had to deal with the normal problems of living in a broken world. Yet, in addition to those issues, they had to endure actually more problems because they were heavily persecuted for their faith. Yet in the midst of all of it, they could experience peace. This is mind-blowing peace. Peace no matter what's going on in your life. It's what Pastor Dakota was talking about, this deep-seated contentment, wholeness in Jesus. That no matter what is happening in the world around you, the world cannot rob you of this peace. So what does it look like? Number one, here it is. The peace of God includes peace with God, and it's perhaps the most important aspect of this peace. Peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, to be justified is simply to have right standing with God. So because we have been justified, we have right standing with God through faith, we have peace with God. God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So by faith, when you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you gloriously get peace with God because you have wonderfully right standing with Him. Why do we need peace with God? There are many who are preaching a hyper-grace message today that says, oh, God just loves everybody. And that's true in some measure. But he's just nice and he's just cheering you on and he wants to make your dreams come true. R.C. Sproul said it like this. He said, in the modern contemporary world, we have defanged God. Romans 5.10, Paul says it like this. For if when we were enemies of God... You've ever been told that before? That apart from Christ, you were an enemy of God? He says, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Paul says we were enemies of God, meaning that apart from Christ, there is enmity between us and the divine. Why? Because of this thing we call sin. We've all broken the law of God. We all stand guilty before a perfect being. A holy God. And so the greatest need of every human being is for is that that person is right with his or her Savior. His or her Creator. In the ancient world, it's interesting that in these kind of pagan religions that men and women would go to great lengths to figure out how to appease their gods because they attributed any kind of like natural disaster any time that maybe their, their, their people would lose in a war or any time there would be a drought or a famine, anything, they would say the gods must be dissatisfied with us. But these were false gods, so there was, no communica- two, there was not two-way communication between the gods and the people. And so they would cut themselves and they would sacrifice things. They'd give up things, even sacrifice people to try. They'd lose their minds trying to appease a God that they did not know. But for the true and everlasting God, we don't have to try to appease him. Why? Because Christ in his death has paid the penalty for our sins and he has appeased the wrath of God. 
It's glorious news. This is what Christ has done for us. And this is first and foremost what the angels are rejoicing over. Christ has come to reconcile God and sinful man. You and I, if we are in Christ, gloriously have peace with God. You know, I hear people say all the time, man, if, if I invite them to church and they say, well, if I, if I walked in, the church would probably catch on fire or a lightning bolt would strike me, something would happen. How many have ever heard that from somebody? And there are people, I mean, they say that tongue in cheek, but there's some truth to what they really are saying uh, in their own minds. They think that literally they are scared to death of God because they know the lives that they have lived. But you know what? That's a healthy fear, by the way, if you're not in Christ. But if you are in Christ, that fear should go away. To all who did receive him, Jesus, he gave the rights to become sons and daughters of God. We're family now. So we don't have to move around. We, yes, we're to have a healthy respect and reverence for God, that kind of fear. But we don't have to worry about God trying to strike us down because Christ has appeased his wrath. And now because of Jesus, we have right standing with the Father. Peace with God. Second aspect of peace. When we have peace with God, it leads progressively to peace with self. Or we might call it inner peace. Have you noticed how generally miserable people are? I mean, we live in a day with, where so many people are just so unhappy. Why? Because they have no inner peace. Hurt people hurt people, and people are hurting. They have no peace within. And maybe that's some of you today. I've got great news for you. You know, multitudes of people are on this quest for inner peace. As I said earlier, if you do a Google search, how to get, uh, I did this actually last night just for fun. I looked for inner peace and then I went to Google images and every one of them, almost every single one of them had some kind of yoga pose or some kind of new age picture associated with it. So there are multitudes of gurus who will lead you down different paths on this quest for peace, which is a great commodity. Can I just be honest with you this morning? I don't care how much yoga you do, how much deep breathing or meditation you employ. You can go to a monastery and sit for a year and try to find inner peace. But if you have not Christ, you will never, ever find lasting shalom, peace of God. And you'll never find, therefore, peace with self. Peace with self comes one way. Inner peace comes one way by you being right with your father. Augustine, I quote this all the time, but I love this. He says, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And again, I don't care how much yoga you do until your heart rests in God, until you're in right standing with him, you will not find inner peace. Philippians 4, 6, I've quoted parts of this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, watch this, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace that will guard our, guard our hearts and minds. Friends, this is inner peace that God is offering 
peace that surpasses all understanding. What is that? We quote this verse, right? It's peace that makes no sense. It's peace when all heck is breaking loose in your life. You still are content and satisfied in Jesus. And people are going, why are you not going crazy right now? You just have this inexplainable peace on your life. Why? Jesus. Whew. Ephesians 1.7. We see one of the benefits of right standing with God is the forgiveness of sins. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Hallelujah. And we rejoice in the forgiveness of sins and that God would be so gracious to forgive us though we have greatly offended him. But you know what I have found in the church? Most Christians have no problem with the idea that God can forgive them. You know where they struggle? They struggle with forgiving themselves. Christians, I see all the time, do not experience God's peace because they will not forgive themselves. And as I was praying and, and going through my message last night here in this sanctuary about 9 o'clock, I just sense there's some people that be listening today that need to forgive themselves. I have counseled, just to give you an example, many couples over the last 20 years who have experienced infidelity in their, in their marriage. And it is a beautiful thing when, after such a horrendous thing happens, that, let's say the husband, it can go either way, but let's say the husband, after committing adultery, confesses his sin to the Lord and to his bride. And it is so beautiful to watch a wife by the blessing of the Lord, by the graciousness of God, forgive her husband. And you sense God's forgiveness. You sense forgiveness within the relationship. But then so many times the husband cannot forgive himself. And you know what happened? That, that marriage continues to be tainted because the husband is continually walking in shame. So it, it's like it, that shame never goes away. And it continues to hurt the marriage. We could insert there any sin. And some of you today, you have allowed shame that the Lord has freed you from to be on your life. And it's caused you, it's, it, it has stopped you from doing what God really is asking you to do. You think, man, I've done this. The Lord could never use me. Friends, he has forgiven you if you've confessed it to him, repented, turned from it. Forgive yourself. It's a beautiful verse in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And look at that last part. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, there is, I, I rode a um, hundred mile bike ride not too long ago. And it rained the entire time. Can you imagine at the end of that how I looked and smelled? Ask Nikki when I came home. Eight hours on a bicycle. Sweating and wet and nasty. I'll tell you what, that first shower <laughs> felt 
so good to cleanse myself from all that had happened that day, right? Well, that pales in comparison to what happens when Christ forgives you. God forgives you in Christ. There is a, it's not just that he forgives you, but there's a cleansing that happens. There's a weight that's lifted off. You don't have to carry your shame anymore. Jesus took care of it at the cross. And I've said this before, and I didn't coin this. I don't remember where I heard it. But if the enemy wants to drag your past back, and he wants to remind you what you did last week, last month, last year, that's all right. Just make sure that you don't stop at that sin. Make sure you take him on back to 2,000 years ago when your sin was handled at the cross of Calvary. Amen? Where you experienced the forgiveness of God. Peace with God leads to peace with self. And then finally, peace with self leads to peace with others. And we need this in our world. When we experience the forgiveness of God, when we are changed and transformed by his grace, it ought to change the way we treat other people. He who is forgiven of much loves much. Amen? The world is angry and it is impatient and it is rude and it is unforgiving. But it should not be so with Christians. We ought to be the most gracious, magnanimous, forgiving people on the planet. Hurt people, hurt people. But when we receive inner peace, God does something with the brokenness. He brings healing to our lives and therefore we should not continue to lash out towards other people. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's just get real practical. Christmas is coming. And some of you are going to be getting together with family. And can we be honest? There might be some tension. Because we all have that family member, right? There might be some tension. Don't give in to the temptation to be frustrated and impatient. No, allow God's grace to flow through you. Be patient. Be kind. Be loving. As difficult as it is, remember how Christ and God has forgiven you and lavished that same grace upon other people. So though the world is not yet in perfect peace, you and I in Christ, we can have today peace with God, inner peace, and peace with others. Amen? How is it appropriated to us? How is this peace appropriated to us as believers? Number one, we receive Jesus by faith. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not professed him as Lord and believed in your heart and his death, burial, and resurrection, you cannot have this peace. But today, I believe, is the day of salvation for you. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, Romans says that all who call upon his name will be saved. Hallelujah. So number one, trust in Jesus. But secondly, even if you are a believer, we know that Christians don't all the time walk out or live out this peace of God that's offered to them. Let's just get real simple here. We need to pray more. One of the greatest sins of the church, even the greatest sin of the ministry, is prayerlessness. 
And if we'd watch the news a little less and pray a little more, we might be a less anxious people and a more holy people. Amen? We need to pray. Paul says again, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Then the peace of God will come to you and transform your hearts and minds. Guard your hearts and minds. Think of it. What do we do? We need to pray more. One of my favorite hymns. Some of y'all will, will, will know this one. What a friend we have in Jesus. Do you remember this one? Who remembers that old hymn? And I love this part. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. This could have been taken right out of Philippians 4. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We need to pray more. So receive Jesus by faith. Pray without ceasing. And then finally, we need to confess our sins. This is a discipline that has gotten away from us in the contemporary church. We hear confession and we think immediately Catholic church. No, we ought to think Bible. We have we've become so individualized in the Western world and, and Christianity has become so individualized that the, the art of or the discipline of confession has almost completely escaped us. James says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. We are to confess our sins to God and we are to confess our sins one to another. It doesn't mean that you have to sit in a booth with a, with a preacher. Though I'm happy to be a trusted brother that you can share those things with. I'm just asking you to find somebody, another believer, whom you trust that you can share and confess your sins with. Just this morning, true story. I don't know why I have to say true story. Everything, <laughs> like, not lying now. Um, I... <laughs> I dropped Dylan off, uh, my, my son, here at church about 8.30 this morning, and I went on to, uh, to Kroger's. I like to uh, get my, my Starbucks coffee. and So I went in, and when I did, a, a lady approached me, and uh, I'd have a, had years ago a little bit of interaction with her and com- a few conversations, and she, uh, she approached me. She said, hey, she said, how's church going? I said, oh, it's going wonderful considering COVID and all this. She said, great. She said, can I just say something to you? I had counseled her son and his wife, and there is something that happened that I still stand behind, but she didn't particularly agree with the way it was handled. And she just said, I've, I've held this against you for a long time. And she said, I just want you to know, I think you're a man of God, and uh, I'm sorry that I've, I've held this against you. And uh, she said, but you, you really did offend me in this. And it is... I'm almost was almost taken back because few people people will talk about you behind their your back, but few times will they do what the Bible says. And if you say if you have aught with your brother, go to him. So here's here's what happened. She's looking at me. Said she says this. I've had something against you, and and uh, you really did offend me. And she just waits for my response. A little bit anxious, I think. And I said, I have so much respect for you right now. She just looked at me. She said, really? <laughs> I said, you have no idea what you've just done for me. I didn't tell her I was preaching on this today. But I said, you have no idea. I said, 
This is what I'm trying to get our church people to do. We, we're going to offend one another, but we need to forgive. And uh, here, here's a principle. This is a mantra I have. Love demands confrontation. If you love your brothers and sisters in this church, it's going to require confrontation. Okay? Most people, they get upset. What do they do? They just leave and go somewhere else. Then they'll get upset there. They'll go somewhere else. To leave. No, confrontation is necessary. We speak the truth in love. And I just so am so grateful for this woman of God today for doing what the Bible says to do. We had we talked for five more minutes. Great conversation. We need to confess our sins one to another and forgive one another. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.